this is going to be a different kind of Advent sermon. But before I even get into there, I want to talk about Ashsi for a minute. And literally just a minute. The kind of people we have attending house churches, couch churches, as some even put it, here. And it's just, it's just amazing. The amount of goods you gave to the poor this last week, winter gear that was made or that was new or as new, was astounding. And I'm getting some feedback. Are you as well? Okay. That, um, and, and it's not like feedback, like you're, you're taking too long. It's the other, it's uh, audio, audio stuff. From Spokane, from Indiana, from Louisiana, from up in the New England states, it's, you, you responded. Well, then the tornadoes came and wiped out um, just whole communities in western Kentucky and partial communities in northeast Arkansas. And so we have been able to trace through relatives and friends that our people, as far as we know, are all safe. As far as we know, they are all uh, working very hard trying to rebuild their lives and the lives of their neighbors. One young man is a pastor of a church, Justin Walker. He's a pastor of a church called Revive that is just east of Owensboro. And I've known Justin for a long time and I've gone up and spoken at his church a couple of times. And he, I reached out to him and I said, tell me what to do and what not to do. You know the people, and in fact, he's related to some of our, uh, our Safe Harbor people that are right there. So he was able to give me insight. And one of the things were that there were two families that, that this one member of his church knew of. Their homes were habitable, but there was no power, and cold was coming. Could we help get generators? She was actually going to put up on GoFundMe. Well, I, I saw that. I reached out to Justin and he said, well, I'll reach out to her. They'd already funded one. She, they said, we need one more. And I said, we're writing the check today. It'll be in the mail to get that. You know, go get the generator while you can. Less than a minute later on a separate thread were some people in southern Indiana that have been from day one part of Ashsi. And they chimed in and added me to the thread to Justin saying, listen, we just saw the news about generators. We're buying a generator. Ashsi people were already jumping on it before we even talked about it. I'm proud of you guys. I am. Look at you, all grown up like a church and everything. It's just so cute when they're little. Um, I love Christmas, and uh, as Craig said, whenever he saw the reading, he said, that's not, that's not a normal Christmas song, a reading. It isn't, but I love Christmas. I love the feeling, the excitement, and although it's been blunted recently by COVID and divisions and politics, Christmas is still very, very special. To Christians, it's even more special than to the world at large, because to us, it is Advent, a word which means God with us, Emmanuel, God coming and descending upon the planet in human form, a babe in a manger, peace on earth. But this isn't God's first advent. He has been entwined with human history from the moment he began it. To understand how intimately he has been involved with us, however, makes us, requires us to confront a couple of seeming contradictions in Scripture. 
Take a look at these passages, three from the book of John, one from the book of 1 Timothy. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son, he has declared him. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. Not that any man has seen the father, except he who is from God. God, the blessed and only rule of all, the king of kings and lord of lords, whom no man has ever seen, and no man is able to see. No man has seen God at any time. Now, when you look at this in the New Testament, it immediately becomes worrisome if you know your scripture. Because in the Old Testament, we know that it is said that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the, uh, the evening in the garden. We know that God passed by Moses, that he'd put him in the cleft of the rock to keep him safe as he and his glory passed by. We, we see these meetings with God. So how in the New Testament are, is it that we are told no man has seen him, no man can see him, but we're not done. What do we do with passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 3? Our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the sp same spiritual drink. For they all drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Christ, with them 40 years in the wilderness. So it's a different kind of Advent sermon. We're going to look at a God who has always been with us. And yet, we have not seen him. We have seen his messengers. Most specifically, we have seen Christ, the Lord of Lords, the ruler of all. But in the Old Testament, we don't see the word Christ except in prophecy, <clears throat> that the anointed one, the Messiah, was coming. So how does God show up in the Old Testament continually? Well, there is another being there, not an angel of the Lord, but one referred to as the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord. Before we look at him, we need one more item in our head. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing has been made, that has been made. I'll try that again. Without him, nothing has been made uh, that has, uh, that I think I've got our words there wrong. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Whoever this word of God is, is the one who created all things. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. So who is this being? It is Christ in the Old Testament. He's all through it. There he is called the angel of the Lord. He is with the Jews as they wonder. He is, well, let's just use another story. You see, we're hamstrung by our, our language. Like we showed with uh, God rest ye merry gentlemen, our language changes. In the time of Shakespeare, for example, the word for housewife was hussy. Do not even think of using that word, gentlemen. <clears throat> it is not funny. And I would rather not do a funeral at Christmas. 
So um, the, wor uh, the worst that he could say about any human being was to call them mischievous. Well, that word is softened up quite a bit in meaning, hasn't it? If you're in Scotland and you're a very pleasant looking woman that would be pleasant in the home, they will refer to you as homely. It's not what it means over here. Language is funny. Language makes changes. God shows up in the Old Testament, but we often don't see it because our language doesn't show it. The language that Jesus spoke was Aramaic. It's a language which, by the way, is in danger of becoming extinct because the last native speakers are trapped in war zones and they have no government or army to back them up. But the Aramaic that Jesus spoke was also the Aramaic in which people wrote many of the old scriptures. And those scriptures were called targums by students of these things. The targums of scripture, when we read them, all of these contradictions evaporate. Now we know what we're watching. One story to illustrate. One of my favorite stories is a heartbreaking story out of Genesis 16, verses 7 through 13. It is a story of Hagar. Now, we all know the story. If you're church people, we're aware that we have non-church people, and we even have atheists and agnostics that watch, and you're always welcome. As we've said, this will be safe for you too. We're not going to make fun of you or ridicule you. But if you're church people, you know that Abraham, and we're just going to use his later name. We're not going to chop it up to Abram, all right? Abraham was promised that he would have an, a great number of children. His descendants would be numberless, like the stars of the heaven or the sands of the seashore. And yet, he's old. And Sarah, his wife, is old. And they have no children. And so, through a very weird and sad experience in Egypt, they find another woman living with them. The Pharaoh down there had decided that he had crossed a line with God and did not want to mess with that God. And so he asked Abraham to, to, Abraham to take Sarah and leave. And he gave her a present, a woman. Yeah, he gave her, gave them a woman who was one of the slaves there. Just as a way of here's your bonus if you'll leave. So we're already brokenhearted for this person. But it gets worse. Her name wasn't Hagar, because that's not a name. The word Hagar means foreign person. We don't even have a name for her. She was somebody who had <clears throat> no nation, no identity, no rights, and could be handed off like an old leather bag to this strange old man and woman that are traveling through. And that's what happened. Abraham and Sarah decided, well, God's not producing children through us, so he must want us to do it. There's always the danger of God's not doing what we want him to do, so let's form a committee and do it for him. That couldn't possibly go wrong. And it always does. And so Sarah says, Abraham, you raise up a child through Hagar, and he'll be our That'll be the start of our descendants. Now, to us, this sounds barbaric for the simple reason that it is. But in that society, it was believed that any children of the servants or the like were all descendants of Abraham. So 
as horrible as it was, this took place. Uh, Hagar becomes pregnant and Sarah's not happy. Now she's jealous as, as it would be. You know, this is, this is a bad idea before it started. And so she requires Abraham to drive Hagar off into the desert to die. And he'll do that not just once, but twice with Hagar. It is one of the most heartbreaking stories you can imagine. And yet, this woman who has no name, who is able to be raped at will, and that's, we need to call it what it was. There's no consent when a power differential is that great. This woman is met in the desert by the angel of the Lord who says, I've got you. I see you. I know you. And I will not forget you. And I will raise up through your son a great and wild people. He even says they will be like a wild donkey. Now, to you and I, that's not, we don't say that at baby showers. You know, we don't go in and go, well, he's going to be like a wild donkey. Well done, you. Again, language. But it meant no master can tame him. He will be free, self-sufficient, and he will have no ruler over him. It was a compliment. It was an assurance Rather like we named our son uh, in the English, Duncan, in the Gaelic, Dunnachug, the dark warrior. We had the feeling, that's eh, going to be a tough guy. He's going to go back in the military. It's not a big guess. That's what our family's done for hundreds of years. And he did, and he was, and he's a great man of God. Uh, that, all that said, when the Targums speak of this, they don't read the same way the English does. Look at this. She gave thanks to the Lord whose word spoke to her. What is the name of Jesus given in John chapter 1? The word of God. What is the name that is given to Jesus as he conquers in Revelation? Lord of Lord, King of Kings, and the word of God. She met the word of God in the desert. In another Targum, it adds this. And Hagar gave thanks and prayed in the name of the word of the Lord who had been shown to her. Christ's first visit to this planet was not in Bethlehem. He was in the garden. He was with Adam and Eve. He was the one who met Hagar. She had seen the warrior king. The one who in Revelation 19 had come to save his people from all destruction and from the rulers of this world. She had seen the word of God. It's not the only time. Oh no. In fact, there are quite a few, but we're not going to look at many of them this morning. Genesis 18, again, a very strange passage. Abraham, and again, we're using his full later name. Abraham and Sarah are camped. And here come three strangers. Now, as soon as they saw the strangers, Abraham did what you were expected to do in that time. And that is, he ran to them and insisted that they accept his hospitality, stay with him, and eat with him. This is still the way things are done in most of these cultures. There's a wonderful young Jewish man named Drew Bensky, who has now visited every country 
on the planet. Now, when you are a solo, young, red-haired Jewish man, many of these countries are, would seem to be very dangerous. And some of them with the police were, and some of them with the government were, but not with the people. He's done several videos. All of his videos are up on, on YouTube, and you can watch them for free, or you can, you can you know, be a subscriber and pay him some dollars, but uh, they're worth watching. Just his spirit, his, his desire to, we are all one and we're all the same. It just drives him forward, and I really appreciate him. But he's done several videos on how everything in Iraq is free. Everything in Afghanistan is free. And he'll show how he keeps going and he'll eat and he'll try to pay. And they're going, no, 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 you are our friend. You are our guest. Whenever he needs something, no, no, you are our friend. And they will not let him pay. You are our friend. That's the culture that was there at this time. So Abraham goes, brings them. And as he feeds them, <clears throat> it's not um, Omicron, it's not COVID, it is um, advanced age, the, 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 you know, it is, it's just, I'm allergic to Tennessee. <clears throat> I love it here, but Tennessee's trying to kill me slowly and publicly, so there'll be witnesses. As they visit, they all get up then and start to leave. Two of them walk off just a little bit while one hesitates and stops. The third one looks at the two angels and says, shall I keep from Abraham what I am about to do? All of a sudden, these are not the three, three of the same. All of a sudden, if you're not getting chills, you're not paying attention. Something has happened on the planet. And he sends the two on their way. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> it's water. <laughs> no miracles, I guess. All right, fair enough. That's, that's good. You know what fish do in this. Anyway. I'm a scientist. I know how many sets of kidneys that's been through. You might want to pray for Cammie. Oh, some of you already are. Okay. <clears throat> and by the way... The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not what preachers have told you it was because Ezekiel and Jude both say that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was a mistreatment of the poor and inhospitality to the strangers. The way it was manifested is what many people then jump on. Now, the root cause, the root sin was inhospi inhospitality and mistreatment of the poor. And so this angel is no angel because he's saying, I'm making the decree. And he turns to Abraham and he says, they're going to these places. And if what we have heard, there's been such an outcry to heaven. If what we have heard is true, this is what I'm going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. This is no regular angel. This is someone with power and authority. In fact, in the Old Testament, when someone bows, falls in front of this angel and worships him, he doesn't say, get up. Every other angel does. They'll say, no, no, get up. I'm just a servant. This one accepts the worship. This is Jesus walking among us. He's always known us. And then the last one we'll take 
a little bit of a look at today, and then we'll just hit some highlights and move on. Genesis 22. It is the angel of the Lord that stops Abraham from sacrificing Isaac on the mountain. Now, if you're an atheist, this is one of those passages that you just don't get. And if you're a Christian, you're probably struggling with it too. What individual could take his only son up on a mountain and then sacrifice him <clears throat> for, to God? Well, later writers would say Abraham was doing this because he believed God would raise him back from the dead. Still, there's an issue. There's a problem. The rabbis tell us that the name given, uh, the, um, the words, the nouns given to describe Isaac at that time didn't mean a young man, didn't mean a teenager or a kid. It meant somebody about 30, which made me think, if I have a 30-year-old still living in my tent, <clears throat> but maybe even then, no, maybe not even then. But as you get up to the top, he, uh, Isaac looks around and he says, where's, where's the lamb? Well, of course, later John the Baptist would point and say, behold the lamb, but we're skipping ahead. In most of our Bibles, because they came from Greek, they will read Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. The Targum in Genesis 22, 8 reads, the word of the Lord will prepare for me a lamb. The word. Now you know what John meant and what his hearers understood when they heard the opening lines of his book. By the way, <clears throat> that mountain would later, uh, later on become the home of a settlement that would later grow into a city with walls. That was Jerusalem, built on that mountain. And on that mountain where God would not let Abraham kill his son, God sent the word who provided the lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, would die on that mountain and no one would stop the death. Abram didn't know that. <clears throat> we do. It's perhaps good to remember that sometimes when we look about and think God's not doing his job, that it's because we haven't seen the end of the story. But we move on. I'll move through these very quickly. Um, but we'll come back to them in a couple of weeks. In Genesis 32, Jacob says he wrestled with God. The Targums say he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And by the way, even in our Bibles, when Jacob later refers to this episode, in Genesis 48, he tells his son, I wrestled with God, the angel who delivered me. Yeah. God can be called an angel because the word for angel means a messenger. <clears throat> Someone from another country. And I, I by the way, I like water. Uh, I, I came from <clears throat> the Church of Christ, so you have to like water. <clears throat> <laughs> it takes a lot of these to fill up a baptistry. <clears throat> and by the way, I had two people right last week asking if we, if we believe in baptism. Oh yeah, we do. We, we will get to you if you want baptized. We'll find some way to get to you. Uh, it's important to us. In Exodus 3, you can actually see the transition, even in your English Bibles, because the angel of the Lord speaks 
to Moses out of the burning bush. But after that opening, every exchange is between Moses and God speaking. The angel of the Lord has the title of God there. And he's also, by the way, Stephen and his big sermon before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7. Uh, he refers to an angel, the angel of, uh, that was in the, the burning bush, as the messenger of God. Isaiah called Jesus the messenger of God, the messenger of great counsel. And then this, <clears throat> Moses asked this angel his name. Ask God his name. If I'm to go into Egypt and deliver these people in the name of a God, I need to know the name of the God. And so God looks at him, the angel of the Lord looks at him and says, I am that I am. It's the only name he gave them. Many centuries later, in a little village that was not much of any place, Bethlehem of Judea, would be born a baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, born in controversy, rejected by the fine, upstanding religious people of the day, rejected by the learned ones, feared and rejected by the political class. Everything about his life was challenged. Everything he said was doubted. Even and perhaps especially his genealogy Foremost above them, his ancestry, whether he was legitimate in any sense of the term. And so in John chapter 8, verses 53 through 58, are you ready? They look at Jesus and say, are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself. My glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I'd be a liar like you. By the way, I know that doesn't sound Christian. <laughs> I've had people in my life say, well, no, that doesn't sound. Don't try to out Jesus, Jesus. You're allowed to speak. I'd be a liar like you, but I do know him. And keep his word, word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Now unpack that one, by the way. They say, you are not even 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you've seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was, I am. He has always been here. When he told his followers, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, that wasn't a new thing. He's been here since Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden. He was there outside the gates of Jericho. He was the one who saw Hagar. And spoiler alert, little story later, there will be a woman, childless, rejected, unloved, who would later speak of the angel of the Lord and say, I have seen the God who sees me. Hagar would have understood. He has always been 
Emmanuel. I don't know what kind of Christmas you're having. If you're alone, if you're in fear, if you're sick, if you've had recent deaths in your family, if you're terrified of what's coming around the corner, I know that for many of you, it's not a holly jolly Christmas, and I get that. For those of you for whom it is, don't feel guilty. Enjoy the holly, the jolly, do it. But for those who aren't, you also need to know Christ has not failed to come for you. He is the angel of the Lord. He is the word, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And before Abraham was, he is. No wonder he could say before Abraham was born, he looked forward to my day, and then when he died, he saw my day. For he is the great I am. Craig has gifted us with a song, and we're going to ask him to come up and lead us in that song. <laughs>